I really wish that you could be standing here looking at how you guys are looking. Honey, they let one of the high schoolers up on the stage. Um, <laughs> that's not the case. Um, if you haven't met me yet, uh, my name is Derek McFarland, and uh, I'm the new youth pastor here at, at FBC. And um, just to clarify, uh, yes, I did say my name is Derek, and so yes, that means there are now two Derek's spelled the exact same way on this staff, and so just so we can kind of distinguish between the two, I'll let you decide, uh, but I, I just kind of figured uh, we would call one young, handsome Derek and one not-so-young, not-so-handsome Derek, <laughs> and I'll let you guys um, decide, and you can tell him later which one you pick, um, but I am, I'm excited this morning uh, to teach uh, to you guys and for you guys just to hear a little bit of my heart. Um, and so let's go ahead and get this out of the way, all right? Let's go ahead and put it out in the open. Um, I do kind of feel like the new animal, like at the zoo, right? And everybody's like coming by, hey, let's go check out the new animal, see if he's boring, uh, see if we like him. Um, and so I understand what this is, right? So feel free to judge me off of my teaching, and I'll feel free to judge you off how well of listeners you are. Um, I'm joking, uh, but I am excited. Uh, I really am. I think God has something um, special for us this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you, know, you can open up to Genesis 15, um, and we're going we're gonna to start there. But let me pray first um, and just ask God that his name would be made much of this morning. Let's pray. Father, I thank you uh, for this time, this church family um, today, God. Uh, I pray that your grace would, would be made new today to each of us, God, that you would speak to us through your word. God, that my ears would fall to the ground and your words would fall on the hearts of the people here today. God, speak through me. God, use me. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Genesis 15 is where we're going to find ourselves today, okay? But I feel like we need to catch up. So last week we looked at how Jesus was the truer and greater Adam and how Adam caused this vile, this poisonous, this sin to enter into the world, and Jesus comes and he cures what Adam caused, okay? We saw that in Genesis 3, but I feel like for the sake of our story, we need to catch up from Genesis 3 to Genesis 12, and uh, it's going to be really fast, and it's, there's going to be so much that we're skipping over, and I understand that, but we need to just kind of get an idea of where we're going to find our protagonist of the story today. Um, so let's catch up. Um, you don't have to follow with me in your Bible, just listen. Um, and so Genesis 4, Adam and Eve are going to bear sons, and um, as a result of just this jealous frenzy that takes place between the two of them, uh, Cain is going to murder his brother Abel. Genesis 5, we're going to see, and I really didn't know how to define it, Genesis 5, we're going to see a lot of really old people <laughs> um, that lead and that eventually bring us to Noah, all right, Genesis 6 through 8, we see corruption and evil and sin growing in the world, and the perfect, almighty, faithful, all-loving God of this universe looks at man, and he says, you know what, I regret making man, and I'm going to fix this. I'm going to blot man out from the earth, and he says, I'm going to hit the reset button, but I'm going to offer hope uh, from rescue of judgment through Noah. Genesis 9, we see God make the promise to Noah that never again shall flesh be cut off by the waters of the earth. Genesis 10, we see the descendants of Noah. In Genesis 11, we see man fall into the same trap that um, Adam fell into in the garden, where 
the people come together and they say, let's build a tower that touches the heavens. In essence, let's build a tower so we can make a name of ourselves and people and we'll basically be like God. And so God again looks at them and he says, all right, if you want to do that, then I'm going to scatter you. And so God scatters um, the people. And this is where we find the story of Abram, Genesis 12. Um, the Lord disperses the people and our protagonist enters. And so Genesis 12 is where we find the story of God's dealings with the man Abram. So Genesis 12 is the first interaction we see uh, with God and Abram, and God is going to call Abram. And I feel like it's important that we understand what context we're, we're thinking here uh, when we think of the man Abram. God is calling a pagan man. Let's not make any bones about that. God is calling a man who deserved nothing, a man who was caught in sin, living uh, in the pagan world, and yet God is going to call him and say, I'm going to make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Now remember this idea as, as we talk today, this idea of I will make you a great nation. I will bless your name and I will make you a great nation because it's going to be common thread in the life of Abram. So he commands Abram to leave his father's country and to go into the unknown. And Abram and Sarah end up in the land of Egypt, all right, where some really odd events take place, but for the sake of our story are not vital for us to understand. Um, we're getting to Genesis 15. It's, but basically at the end of that, they're asked to leave Egypt. Genesis 13, we see Abram and his nephew Lot gain incredible wealth. They gain incredible size. Their flocks grow. And they basically look at each other and they say, we have to split up or else we're going to die because our flocks have gotten so big. We can't sustain where we're at now. And so Abram looks at Lot, and Lot looks at Abram, and they said, all right, you go that way, I'm going to go this way. And so this is where we see Abram settle in the land of Canaan, but God gives him another promise in verse 14 of, of Genesis 13, saying, look around you, your offspring will be so great that it will be as great as the dust of the earth. In Genesis 14, Lot is captured after being kind of swept up in this war between neighboring kings. And Abram is sent uh, to rescue Lot, and he does so successfully. And now we get to where we're at today, Genesis 15. And I'm going to read it again, okay, because I feel like for the sake of what we're going to be talking about, we need um, to delve further into Genesis 15 and, and to see that context. So, We'll be quick. Genesis 15 says this, After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward will be great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is a laser of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my house will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your, your heir. You shall have your very own son as your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars. If you can number them, so shall your offspring be. And remember this. And he believed the Lord. Abram believed the Lord, and it, count, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Verse 7, And he said, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans, to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer um, three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, literally cut them in half, and laid each half on uh, over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half, and when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offsprings will be sojourners or, or visitors in a land that is not theirs, 
and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out of it with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall not be... uh, and they shall not come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I give this land for the river of Egypt. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river of Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kemadites, the Hittites, the, Pez- the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Okay? So Genesis 15, we see this idea that by grace alone God blesses. We see Abram, a pagan man, like I said, who deserved nothing. Abram had done nothing to deserve the blessing of God, yet God is going to call Abraham, And we see four times from the beginning of uh, Genesis 12, the start of Abraham's life, to now, four times God has promised Abraham, I'm going to make your name great, and you will have an, you will have an heir. And so for the first time, we see God justify a man solely based on the merit of faith. Abraham had done nothing, but somehow, some way, for some reason, God looked at Abraham and showed him mercy and said, through you, I'm going to build a people. I'm going to build my people that's so true in our life right by grace alone god has blessed blessed us by grace only god has blessed us we have done nothing um, to earn god's blessings to earn god's grace no social status no social media following no amount of good works no sunday school role could ever merit the grace of god But for some reason, he has looked at us just like he looked at Abraham and said, I'm going to give you my word that you will be blessed. And then he seals it with an act of promise. That's what we see here in in Genesis 15. During this time, um, it was commonplace for a kind of a regional power, I guess, political power to come and to conquer a smaller power. Um, And after this had happened, it it was called a mutual beneficial curse. And what would happen is um, the leader from the regional power would come to the, region, uh, the leader of the smaller power, and they would say, let's make a, um, a promise to each other. Me as the, um, the bigger power, I'm going to make you a promise of protection. Um, you can still be free in your land. Um, and all I ask is that you submit to my authority and pay taxes. And what happens is they would um, bring a sacrifice before God. They would cut these animals in half, and they would sit one half of the animal on one side and the other half against the other, and they would lock hands and they would pass through these two halves of the animal. And basically what they're saying is, if I break this promise, if I seek refuge in a different um, political tie or look to get out of this promise somehow, if the bigger power doesn't keep their promise of security, then let this be what happens to my body. Let me be broken. Let me be cut because I broke that promise. And so in this vision of slumber that we see Abraham find, something strange takes place. We see a, a, a fire pot that represents God is the only thing that goes between the two halves. And God himself says, I'm the one making this promise to you. And if I break this promise, then let my body be broken and let my body be cut. By grace only, God blesses us. 
but more than that, by faith only. By faith only, we receive it. Uh, faith is not earned, right? Abram didn't uh, receive the, the promise of the blessing of God because he was a good guy. He was a commendable guy. We see that in Noah's life. Noah was a, uh, a man without blame, and so God gave him uh, refuge through the storm. But Abram had done nothing, but yet still God um, showed him grace. Abram received the promise. Why? Because he simply believed what God had said, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abram believed the Lord, and it had been credited to him as righteousness. And so here we find this idea by faith only we receive the blessings of God just like Abraham did or Abram did. This blessing isn't some kind of promise of wealth or, um, or a, a, a promise of a comfortable life or a promise of um, good health, but it's a promise that God will never leave us nor forsake us. The, the promise of salvation offered through Jesus these blessings we receive by faith and faith only, not by any merit of our own. Abram, in one of the most hopeless situations of his life, had been promised an heir. And I love, a, a few chapters later, God begins to deal with Sarah over this matter. And um, Sarah actually looks at God and laughs at God <laughs> and says, After I am worn out and my Lord is old. Well, I now have this pleasure. <laughs> Sarah looks at God and says, I'm old, I'm tired, my husband's old, he's tired, there's no way this is going to happen. And it was a very hopeless situation. Physically, they were in no place that they could have a child, they could have an heir. But Abram looked through this doubt, and he looked through this uncertainty of his life and the circumstances that surrounded it, and he said, God, I know what you have said, and I'm going to believe it. I'm going to have faith in it. I trust you. John 8.56 says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. This was the words of Jesus, okay? And so we're going to see in just a few seconds how Jesus is the greater Abraham. But first I want to correlate this idea of by faith alone we receive it. Um, so the reformer Martin Luther, right, first heard the, the words of of Habakkuk 2.4 when he was living in a monastery um, as a monk. Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous shall live by faith. And he didn't understand this at the time, right? His eyes were just blinded to it. Um, but through God's slow revelation of, of revealing himself to, to, to Martin Luther, uh, Martin Luther tells this story, or Martin Luther's nephew actually tells this story. Um, he felt really ill. He felt really sick. Martin Luther did. And um, he said as he laid on his deathbed, he couldn't help but fear God's wrath over his life, right? A guy who had given his life for the work of God was sitting on his deathbed and looked up at God and says, I don't know that God. Well, what happened was Martin Luther had recovered from his sickness and um, the church in, in Rome was offering indulgences for any person who came and climbed the, the steps of a well-known church. Um, and so, obviously, Martin Luther was like, I'm a good monk, so I'm going to go do this. And Martin Luther, in his autobiography, writes of this recount of this story. And he says, as he was climbing those steps, he would look around and he would see people falling to their face and kissing the steps of the steps that they were walking up. But Martin Luther still could not get over Habakkuk 2.4. The righteous shall live by faith. 
and Martin Luther in this quote. Things not working. Says this, Before those words broke upon my mind, I hated God and was angry with Him. But when by the Spirit of God I understood those words, that the just shall live by faith, the just shall live by faith, then I felt born again like a new man. I entered through the open doors into the very paradise of God. After hearing these words and understanding them for the first time, Martin Luther went back to his house in Wittenberg and began what we would now know as the Great Reformation. The righteous, the just shall live by faith. Abraham was counted righteous because of his faith. The righteous shall live by faith. So how is Jesus the greater Abraham? Okay, we've been talking about this idea of Jesus is greater than the stories and the figures of the Old Testament. How is Jesus the greater Abram? And I would simply ask you this and, and tell you this. Jesus is the greater Abram because he perfectly fulfills what Abraham believed. He perfectly fulfills what Abraham believed. Jesus completes what Abram believed. Like I said in John eight fifty six, Jesus says, Your father Abraham was overjoyed that he would see my day. And he saw it and rejoiced. That's an astounding statement that Abraham was justified by faith. And ever since then, that faith has been in the gospel. Abraham didn't know it. Abraham couldn't see it. But his faith was in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus perfectly fulfills what Abraham believes. And to show you this, I can think of no better way than to tell you the words of Romans chapter 4 where Paul is talking about the justification of Abraham by faith when it says this what then shall we say that Abraham our forefather according to the flesh discovered in this matter for if in fact Abraham had been justified by the works then he would have had something to boast about but not before God what does the scripture say that Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness For the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. Likewise, to the one who does not work, but believes in God, their faith shall be credited as righteousness. David speaks of this same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God will credit righteousness. When he says, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the one whose sins God will never hold against them. But is this... Blessedness for the circumcised or for both. We have said that it was credited to Abraham as righteousness, but under what circumstances was it credited? Was it credited before circumcision or after? It was certainly not before, or not after, but before. But he received circumcision as a sign, as a seal of the promise that comes by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believe but have yet to be circumcised so that their faith may be credited as righteousness. And he is the father of all who have been circumcised but still follow in the footsteps of faith that Abraham had while he was still uncircumcised. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise to be heirs of this world but through righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, then faith means nothing and the promise is worthless. For the law law brings wrath and where there is no law, there is no transgressions. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all. All of Abraham's offspring. 
not only to those who are in the law, but to those who share in the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom um, he is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to dead things, and the God who calls things into being which were not. And here you go, don't miss this. Against all hope, in hope, Abraham believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, for he was about a hundred at this time. And he also faced the fact that Sarah's womb was also as good as dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith, and he gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. And so this is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The, the words it was credited to him were not written for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins, but he was raised to life for our justification. How is Jesus the greater Abraham? Paul tells us here because he perfectly fulfills that which Abraham believed. So what does this mean for us today? Okay, it's, it's good to see, it's fun to see how Paul ties back the righteousness of Abraham to the person of Jesus. But what does this mean for us today? Well, it simply means this. We can have faith because God didn't break the promise, but he still bore the punishment. If you'll remember that when Abraham fell asleep, this act of uh, covenant promise um, took place and this fire pot had passed through the two halves of the animals and it was as if God was saying, hey, I'm making this promise that if I break um, this covenant that I've made with you, then let my body be broken. But we know, right, just off the character of God and who God is, that he cannot and will not break a promise that he makes. He's perfectly faithful to fulfill every promise that he has ever made. Yet, just like that covenant promise in our lives today, God did not break the promise. We did, right? We, like all others through history, have looked at God and said, you know what? I have seen the promise that you made for us. I have seen what you have done for us. But I'm going to seek refuge. I'm going to look to make a metaphorical political tie somewhere else. I'm the one that's going to break that promise. We broke that promise, yet God bore the punishment. And because he bore that punishment of the promise we broke, we now have a full and a whole and a mended relationship back to the Father. So for us today, we can, like Abram, believe and have faith in God because we broke the promise, but God bore the punishment for us. We can have faith and believe today because we have the righteousness of another credited to our account. 